Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the GameDev.TV Community Podcast. I'm your host KB, and this podcast brings you the audio experience of GameDev.TV. Now, let's get right into the podcast. Alright, we're live. This is episode, what is it, episode 34 it's going to be. So, we did an episode with Rick, it was the greatest episode you can even imagine. It was uh, of gems and and lots of game design answers and and everything you would ever wish for from Rick Davidson. But you know what happened? We didn't get all of it. You know why? Because we wanted we wanted to cherish those moments and give it to you some other time. Maybe maybe that's the reason why. Who knows? <laughs> but um, but yeah. So we're gonna recap what we talked about with Rick. We're gonna go over the stuff that we basically talked, answer the questions that I basically asked him. And like you guys said, and then we're also going to explore player experience, which is probably the main topic of the whole entire interview conversation discussion was about player experience and how it's important. And his he thinks it's one of the most important things when deciding if a game is has good game design or not. And actually, we could start off with that, too. So when we were talking about Fortnite games, for instance, we talked about bad player experience and one of them was No Man's Sky. We had a long talk about that. You basically explain what is it, Bryant? <laughs> what was wrong with No Man's Sky? So No Man's Sky, I think, and I never played the game. No, wait, wait, wait. The, wait, the question is, what is the player experience for No Man's Sky? Then I'll ask you that. Well, that was his complaint, right? It was that there is none. The right? <laughs> there wasn't any any player experience yeah. in No Man's Sky. And again, I haven't played the game, so I really can't comment intelligently upon the game, but. I know that it didn't do overly well, or wasn't received overly well, especially in the beginning. So, oh yeah, no, it it was. <laughs> it it so what happened was they talked a big, big game about you know we're gonna do this, we're gonna have that. You can do this. You can travel this planet. You can do this with other like I think they even showed enemies and all this cool stuff where like you can have space battles and stuff like that. And then the game came out, and it was just like half, not even half, like a quarter of what they even said it was going to be. Right. That's kind of was the takeaway I got, too, which is that it didn't. It yeah. underdelivered. So now, I personally haven't played the game, but I've heard that they've recently fixed a lot of the things and brought everything out. Now, Rick mentioned that he went back to try it out, and it still feels like it's lacking player experience. And that's it's key because... If you don't understand your player experience and you don't decide what it's going to be, and you and because then you're going to have to build a game. And if you don't build the game based on that player experience, the game is not going to be complete, no matter how much you try to fix it. So, right. for instance, No Man's Sky, they worked on this amazing idea, but they didn't have the player experience in mind. So now they try to fix it, and it still feels like there's no player experience. No matter how hard they're going to try, the game is just built around the fact yeah. there's no key player experience. Now you could think about all the player experiences, maybe. An adventurer going out and exploring all these different places, but you get bored really easily. There's not a yeah. lot to do, so you're missing. The, the, even if their player experience was explorer, go to different planets. There's not much to do with it. You could have changed it up and been like, you can name. I, I don't know the game personally, but like you could have made it where it's more rewarding to just travel, to just right. go to different places. Something's got to happen. It doesn't have to be fighting enemies, but there could have been something where it's like, wow. Or maybe you could have controlled like 
the biodomes or, or ecosystems or or maybe it, like meet random NPCs. The way you connect the world could have been more like, oh, wow, you're an explorer. You're affecting this and that. That would have been an interesting player experience. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. So I think the kind of the takeaway was is that, you know, at the end of the day, have the player experience in mind in the beginning because you can't just bolt it on to a finished product easily. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. It's just like you're trying to fix a tower that's like the structures, the foundation is not even strong. You keep going up and up and up, and eventually it's going to collapse. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you just got to be careful. Now, when we were talking, I think it cut off around when we were talking about like about a half an hour the, or so, the, so. The artifacts. I think we're talking about like game design artifacts. I think that's what it was. So sure. it was literally right. Yeah, because I was asking about game design artifacts. Yeah. So when we were talking about all that, is when I started asking him all the questions about like game design. What like what are the fundamentals of game design? And he was like, "It's a loaded question." Right. Yeah. So, I think the answer to that was, I think, player experience, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think he kind of summed it up. Yeah, player experience yeah. Was, was a big part of game design. Not as much necessarily even the mechanics or the programmability of something, but while what you can do is important, the question is why and how does it fit in the game? You exactly. know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly, yeah. So moving on with that one, we went into creating, like, game concepts. How does he generate game concepts? He was, like, he basically comes up, he plays, if he plays a game or if he's just hanging around or doing something, he'll come up with an experience in his head or, or take that game he's playing and say, hey, how can I make it better? How can I do this? How can I change this game mechanic so that way the game is more fun or more interesting or just build upon a different mechanic so i think it's really key because it's like you know i started doing the whole thing where you make like a game design document every night and you take like an idea you just run with it and see where it can go so it's like when you're next time you're playing a game don't just play the game as a gamer but play it as a game designer so it's like this weird type of um zen like where you're kind of outside your body type thing where you're watching yep. yourself play the game and analyze how you feel or why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Analyze the moments when you're getting frustrated. Analyze the moments when you're curious about the world and why you want to go explore. Analyze the moments when you feel like the, the sounds are affecting you or not affecting you. Just start yeah. analyzing all these different things. And it makes it makes games actually more fun to play because you're like you're playing, you're like, holy like, well, this is cool. Like this game in this moment, it can get really deep where you're like, this game making me feel out of world type experience where I'm like these characters matter and because of this this and that like you can go deep into why these people the designers made the characters this way and how it can affect people then you can go into like the sound why do they make this sound come here and and pop up at this moment it makes me feel more emotional you just go on and on about all this stuff and you just generate these ideas in your head it makes it easier for you to practice game design so the whole the whole thing with the Rick's Day uh, podcast was game design game design game design so if you want to practice it, just generate con- game concepts in your head. To generate game mechanics. Write it down. Post a game concept a day. Get that en- yeah. idea of machine rolling in your head. And then maybe when you're free time during the day, to open up Unity, open up Unreal, open up Gato, and try to re- 
create that little mechanic. Yeah. I think you also kind of pointed on just watching the, the world around you too, right? <clears throat> what can you see in nature and uh, the world that you can kind of branch game designs off of as well? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I agree with that one. It's That one I love a lot. It, it, there's, it says in the art of game design, there's a video you can watch. It, it's for filmmakers, but it's basically, it can be applied to any industry, any area, especially has to do with creativity in creating something of a work of art. So like books, um, video games, movies, all of that is take, go out there, experience life. Go learn biology. Go learn scuba diving. Go learn skydiving. Go learn a piano. Go learn gardening go learn about all go learn about everything in the world not like master it but learn them read about it understand it get in, immersed into it be surrounded by it and that way when it comes time to make your game you go oh you know what we have to make this epic scene with the music and blah blah i remember reading something about beethoven blah 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 let's use this part let's do it like this blah 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 or we have to make this underwater get uh game and it's like what animals should we use oh i remember reading a book about seahorses and sea things and, and these creatures under the dark let's do that like you just start it just makes it easier for to create these worlds that's what video games are it's just an experience the world then you have to recreate it's a, it's a replica of the world it might not exactly be our world but to create a world you need to understand our world right and uh yeah go experience life so you can recreate life that's that's basically just what I you just said and what I think Rick said. Yeah, yeah, I agree exactly. You just want to kind of live life and uh, like you're saying, even just when you go back to those games, just use a critical eye on things and see how you can incorporate it. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Okay, so we did next. I asked Rick, you know, why is early prototyping so important? I think why he said early prototyping was important. I think he really likes the idea of almost like easy wins and just getting stuff on the screen. So I don't remember entirely what he said to the whole early prototyping. Do you remember what he said? Um, You know, I would say my takeaway from his comments on early prototyping, and I think I feel like it when you watch the RPG course as well, is he likes the early wins by visually getting something built. And I think that it's kind of more of a, a motivational step. Um, my, my take on early prototyping, I guess, would also be it allows you to, especially if you keep simple prototypes, find what works. See how it kind of plays out if the mechanics feel like you want them to feel. Not necessarily polished, but, you know... Does something play in your head, play on the game like you think it's going to? Sometimes it's not, and then maybe it's not worth the effort to code it. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, I think it's just you have to get something done. You have to be able to show what you're trying to build in as fast as possible, with as cheap as possible, so we can see, is this going to work? Is this not? What do we need to change? Let's move forward. Right. So you don't want to get somewhere spending too much money, too much time, and realizing, you know what, this doesn't work at all. And we put too much effort into it, we're just going to keep going. Exactly. Don't want to drag yourself down the rabbit hole, right? You don't. Yeah, no. I just, just can't have that. Um, so then after that, I asked him, what mistakes do people make when creating a player experience and how they can avoid it? This is what sparked the whole conversation about No Man's Sky. And then, so we talked about No Man's Sky. 
we also need to talk about Minecraft. He talked about how Minecraft was probably one of the best examples. Because the idea was to create the experience where you're... I think the original one was just your survivor. So, yeah. you know, you, you grab your tools, you go out there, you make a little house, and you hide from the monsters. And then the game expands upon it where you go around and you, you find stuff, you build a bigger place, you do all this stuff, and then you become... It, it's basically the hierarchy of needs. You go from surviving to getting your basic needs, blah, blah, blah. You move up, and then you start building these cool things to show off people to the world. Then you start helping people, and then you start questing around and doing those missions. And then Minecraft now has, like, you know, you fight a dragon, right? It leads you into another area where you can then save, I guess, the Minecraft world. I don't know how the whole story goes, but I just know that you can go from simply surviving to fighting this epic dragon. I think that saves the, the Minecraft world, essentially. It's not like there are any... Yeah, dragons. I don't know exactly. I've never, I've never gone through the whole end of it. But, I mean, I know that you fight the Ender Dragon and you have to go into the Nether World. And, yeah. You know, I think that that game is a good example where, like you're saying, it kind of ratchets it up as difficulty as you progress it. As you want to to change it too. I mean, I if you agree. just want to build a giant building, you're going to fight the low level creatures the whole time. It's never going to be a challenging map for you. But if that's what you enjoy, it's great. But if you want to go into the Nether World and the Nether regions, then it becomes more challenging. Mm -hmm. You know. I but yeah. I mean, oh, what was the original question that this led to? Was uh, the good and bad uh, player experience? Oh. Uh, yeah, good, bad player experiences and, and early mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I don't know if this kind of delved into what we discussed, but I think, you know, he, he really honed on that, you know, new developers, especially someone learning, was kind of like take an existing game and model that game, but find the one aspect that you wanted to improve upon on that game and implement that change kind of like remember we discussed warcraft or world of warcraft and if you had a great idea you know model that out and what that would mean to be implemented in the game and how that would look mm -hmm. instead of trying to change the whole thing especially for a new new developer right starting a game from scratch is a lot of work right no it is <laughs> you know i mean all the little details that go into it so it's a lot of work so sometimes leverage someone else's scaffolding and make a few tweaks now after that we asked him well actually no why well, i asked him later but we'll talk about it later but let's move on to how important is the relationship between story and games so we we did a whole podcast on this one but yeah. i think what what it was that rick said he was like story, story. i think how did he kind of... Oh, yeah. It, it's... He didn't care much for stories. Yeah, I remember that's what he said. Yeah, he didn't... He more just wanted to get in and play. Now, the funny thing is, is I think some of the stories that he referred to were what I would call the tutorial stories on how to play the game, right? Yeah. And, you know, moving the camera around. We all play games that are brand new, and it's like, this is how you move the camera around. It's like, yeah, okay, go to the edge of the screen and use the ASWD keys. I mean, it's been that way for the last 30 years, 40 years of my gaming life. I don't think that's going to change. Um, I, th I would say story were appropriate, and it depends on the genre of game, too. No, I agree. I mean, if I'm doing a first-person shooter, uh, yeah, I don't need much of a story. Yeah. If I'm doing Call of Duty... Call of Duty, I know it has a story per level scenario, but it's like, it's weak, right? 
<laughs> it's all about oh. plagues. I mean, I mean, I don't know about the new one. I heard the new one is really good. I guess it just depends what you're... Like, there are a lot of first-person shooter games where you're like, you're, there's no story to this. It's just kill people, kill people, kill people. Sometimes that's right. great. Sometimes that's, like, what it's supposed to be. But sometimes you're like, this is just pure, not, like, this isn't creative. Right. Well, it, I mean, within... like, Resident Evil, right? I mean, we know that there's a story. There's a whole movies around it and stuff. But when you play the game, it's it's just shooting to survive. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm mixed on story. I, I, I think story has its place. Yeah, and then well, I, think, I think it also you have to re, like read between the lines of it's not just like story of the game, but it's a story that you that the game creates for you. For instance, you can go. I mentioned that, for instance, Lego Star Wars. I would create a character and make my own story within the game. Games are allow people to create their own stories. Yeah, I so, think when I t- when I think of what Rick was kind of talking about, I think some of it was like impact on gameplay. And I almost got the impression too, like maybe uh, overuse of cutscenes and cinematics in your game that you know keep you people from stop playing so they can watch your thirty second cinematic sequence so you can get back to playing the game. Yeah, I actually remember he mentioned that he was like he does not like a fan of all that, but yeah. he real he changed recently saying like you know there's still. If, if done right and, and placed right, it adds to it more than it takes away. Because, you know, the Unreal Cinematics course is going to be on its way. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> so maybe that's why he likes it now. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you never know. Well, you know, but, I, um, I go to a game that I actually, I think where it was done appropriately would have been like, um, would have been like, what, what, Warcraft 3? Maybe. I've never played those. I would say like Uncharted. Oh. You ever play Uncharted? It's more Not like a enough. movie. But yeah. the gameplay is so good that it, it all just flows as one. Which it should. Like, if you have the money and the budget, you should be able to make a game that looks beautiful and plays right. Yeah. And you're you're living in this experience that, like, almost looks real-like. It's like literally you're playing in a movie. Right. Which yeah. is cool. It's something that games can do. They can be a movie. They can be as a novel. But yet you control what happens and how it happens. And you get to be part of it. Like, there's nothing... I don't know... Why it hasn't got like become something big yet? Maybe because it is stressful, it is hard, and you are actually reenacting like stuff that happens in real life. Which game? No, like any game. It's the oh. idea that, that, like, for instance, a book or a movie, people love those because it's like you get to experience this. But a game, you get to just throw yourself into it and be in this story, in this movie. You control everything. You decide what happens. You decide how it's gonna like, or you even just get to experience it. You're in it. I feel like one day it's just gonna click, and just people are gonna be more into like let's play games, let's let's experience the same story. Just I get to play, and I I, I love games because I can be in the story. Like I read and I, I watch right. movies, and it's cool, but it's like I want to make those choices. Right, I want to see what would happen. I want to yeah. Like there's nothing I think that's more cool than that. Like like when we get to the future where there's just people can go into like virtual worlds and like travel around. I don't know. I think it's going to be cool. It's going to be a way to extend the real world into a, our own head. Like, I think the idea yeah. that our imagination is just an extension of the like creative capacity of the world together, and that we can bring upon our imagination to the real world is what video games does in a space like the virtual world, like AR, VR, where we can then fully imagine what we've always wanted to experience in a way that's possible. Like, for instance, we can't fly. Like, we don't have wings. But if you put on some VR things that look and like are designed well enough, and then you get in this like little thing, 
you could probably start flying and you'd feel like you're flying. Like you just, it, you don't, you never know. So, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Why is understanding player psychology so important? I love this because we did the whole podcast about More it. Dumbass, I wanted, yeah. I wanted his um answer to that, and we found out he what he went to school for psychology, and he knows more about psychology and the player than anybody else does that I know of. That I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. He went to uh, what mostly like business organizational psychology, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I don't know. I don't even remember where that conversation went off on, but I mean, I. I if if I if I take it at the most basic level, it's what does a player want out of your game, right? Yeah, and and understanding that should probably drive your development of the game, right? Yeah. Well, I also remember we talked. He doesn't like how the some of the companies nowadays are using the psychology of their player and using it to exploit them with like microtransactions or or you know. The little games where you have to use like if to wait a couple hours to play a game, stuff like that, where it's just like you're you're really taking away instead of adding with this. Right. You're you're being manipulative more than you are being persuasive and, and actually caring about you. You're not doing it in a way that's like motivating. Like oh hey like let's you're not using yeah. psychology for like positive reinforcement. You're using it for negative reinforcement essentially. But yeah. yeah. Profit gets in the way, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense why, but like again, there's a ton of companies that have proven that if you care about the player, you care about making a great game, you put those things together, and and somehow you make more money than if you only cared about money and money. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. it's astonishing. You, you would yeah. think, well, wow, but it makes sense. You 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 make so much sense. Yeah. Yeah, make something good. That transcends time. Like, for instance, Witcher 3. People still buy Witcher 3. And a lot of fan... Like, people who have heard about the game so much from their friends are like, I'm paying the whole price because I want to support these people. Yeah. Cool. That's a $60 game after five years from now. It's like, what? Yeah. It's it's, it's just... It's a great game. And people keep, keep buying it. And then the next game is going to be as good. And if people will buy that one. It's just like, as long as you keep making good games, people will buy it. And you can say this thing for FIFA... For all those other games that are bad, they're like, oh, people are going to keep buying it every year. Well, sure, you'll have the fan base, the people who actually care about those games. But you're not getting anybody new. You're not grabbing anybody who's... Like, I will never touch those games and buy them. I just don't. I don't care. They're the same. I've played them. Like, the. I don't... I'd rather just go outside and play soccer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, games have to appeal to us. That's my own bias. Yeah, That's your own, right? I mean, that's the things I was watching. I can't remember what it was, but they were talking about... The, the new farm simulator 2019 or whatever came oh, let's out. not get into the, the farm and, simulator you know the simulator the, the does walking well what i'm just saying the games themselves do fairly well yeah. so they appeal to somebody and other people are like why well, would well, i, I simulate I don't, farming i don't have a problem with those because i feel like those are exactly what's going to lead vr into like the yeah job industries because people can train to do these things that they don't like for instance you can put a kid in a farm simulator or airplane simulator and have them play that game like i don't know once a week for the rest of like five to ten years yeah. i'm pretty sure by that uh, by the time he gets into a real cockpit he'll be like oh i know what this does and this does and this does and they'll be like probably well, right doesn't mean he can fly the whole plane but that means he gets a better understanding he's ahead of the people who've never done it before and you never know he might have done so many different simulations that he's just 
for the rest of his career, he's way better like adapt for certain situations. The the plane thing that broke out, he's like, I've done, I've seen this before. And then after training like real life, he's like, it's just you put yourself at an advantage than you would if somebody didn't do that training. And it's just cool because you can do it without minimal cost. You're in your room playing in a little like TV. You don't have to have all these advanced equipment. You're just simulating an experience that would maybe cost you more. Especially if you're doing an airplane, you can't get in a plane for free. That's a ton of like getting in a plane is more right. expensive. Farming, it's just a lot of labor and time. Right. You can do that in like less like it's just a lot of things that games make easier. And it's not it's just not just games. It's it's I don't know how else to explain it. It's just a simulation of life put in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Um, how would someone design player centered experiences? Was another question I asked them. And it kind of goes to the same thing with the whole player experience. Is you would just pick a moment, go, what is this game? Not even a moment. You could decide what is this game going to be? What am I what am I player gonna experience? Right. And then you build then experiences within the game to fit that experience that you're trying to build up for the overall experience. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, define, much... define your player experience and then everything you do, how does it fit the player experience? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let me see. There's something I found. No. No, never mind. Okay. So, what exactly is a game language? I remember he was answering like program language. I was like, no, it's more about the the symbols, the uh, the way the game expresses itself. For instance, yeah. we were talking about I think it was Broforce. Was it Broforce? Or... Um, no, I think Broforce was just an example of a game that he liked. Well, that was another one with a good player experience. It was like you feel like Rambo. Yeah. But um, it's also like for instance, we take that game the the way the game, the the UI, the characters and stuff. The language of it is like, okay, this is like old action-adventure game, Rambo-type game. This is what it's going to be, killing, shooting people. Boom, I got it. Without even having the game to even explain it, just looking at it, you're like, I understand the language of this game. This game's going to be violent. The game's going to be this. The game's going to express itself in like colorful like animation, uh, ammunition, weapons, all this good stuff. I know exactly what's happening. Boom. That's your language. Then you get the other games where it's like Sims. It's like, boom, it just tells you all like the, the needs, the little bars all that stuff boom minecraft it doesn't have much more than the blocks and you get blocks you're like okay what's what's basically legos you're playing with lego the game will tell itself with symbols um tips on designing a visually aesthetic and sound aesthetic game or aesthetics to the game um oh if we ever really even covered that did we we it was a little bit. He basically, I think he said more like everything else. It's just you have to decide like what exactly are we trying to get the player to to feel and, and to be part of in this world, and then build the stuff around that to make him believe they're there. So f- visual, make sure the world makes them feel like they're experiencing what you would design the experience to be. If it's something right. different, they're gonna get unimmersed. They're gonna be left out. Right. Same thing with sound. You gotta have it's gotta sound right at the right moments. Right, keep like you can't have something that's just like that doesn't fit. I don't feel like I'm feel, supposed to feel like an action adventure hero when that's supposed to be the player experience. Like for instance, No Man's Sky. It looks like a beautiful world. It's visually it's nice. It looks nice, but you're confused as to what's happening because the game also has this like very pretty kind of like low poly look to it. Yeah. And and you're like. 
what am I doing? <laughs> you kind of like, yeah, I don't know. There's something about it which is like it looks unique and interesting, yet it feels void and like right, boring. So, what are some mistakes Spire Games should make all the time? I don't remember. He, I remember he had something. I don't. What was it? Do you remember? That's a mistake. Spiring game designers make all the time. I think it would be with our main thing. I think he even said it, but don't make wow. I think. Yeah, that might have been don't make wow. Don't over. You know, mm-hmm. and I think um, it might have even been within the conversation of don't, as the game designer, make sure you're getting input from the rest of your team. Yeah, too. I remember that. He was and I don't know if that was part of that question or not, but it was, you know, just because you're the designer doesn't mean that everything you say has to be implemented or, you know, get feedback for what's feasibly possible, what fits within the scope of the game or the scope of time or money, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't be overly ambitious. Yeah, don't be just just make something, make it small, then make something else again and again and again and again. There's a an right. analogy where it's like there's these people in his art class, right? One, this teacher takes half the group, says, "Hey, you guys work on something for the whole year. You guys over here, you make something every week." So at the end of the year, the people who made one thing made something less as valuable than the people who made more stuff throughout the year because every time they failed and or made something they learned from their mistakes they learned how they make it better right. and by the time they get to the year like they actually have something that's really good because they failed many 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 times so same right. thing with the zoom game design if you're trying to be a game designer don't try to design one full big game design many games you can even do so the most important thing i took out of this podcast the one thing that i even implemented is he wants you to create like a GDD document or some kind of like write something down or think about something where you're taking a game, let's say Minecraft or Fortnite, you say, how can we make it better? Maybe you add like, um, let's do an example for what they did. Fortnite was like flying. So they added a plane. They said, let me just try flying out. Anyways, you take the idea, you run with it, you, you throw around, how can I make it happen? You, you, you can use the GDD templates, but you can get the MVP game moment, the, the um the some gameplay how it's gonna be the theme the the how um remarkability the design pillar like the stuff that makes like what is this the design mechanic I'm doing and then continue to do that every day just be like okay so what's today what game am I gonna take let me take this Tropus Mania let me see if I can combine it with Roller Coaster Tycoon or let me take a Marvel game and add it maybe with Civilization and have like this cool Marvel like strategy game or or you just start thinking back and forth and you do that every single day and you write it down, maybe show it to people or share it and then be like, this is what my ideas are. And then maybe during the day, build build something. So you can yeah. show people exactly how you would implement or, or maybe some different mechanics just so you can get practice and program a little bit, do a little bit of art, a little bit of stuff. Because game designer, it's kind of like a well-rounded person. You're not a master in all these things, but you know how to program a little bit. You know how to draw a little bit. You know how to do little things. And then boom, you have a, you have a game design right there in front of you. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Doing your head, you don't even have to always show it, but just like get this yeah. idea rolling in your head about, okay, what is this moment? How can we make the player feel this certain way? Okay, what does it sound? Does it sound good? Okay, the story, the narrative, is it all com- coming together? Is it is it flowing like a game or is it too much movie like? 
is you just gotta start throwing stuff around. It's yeah, I think we just we discussed about you know how long should it take to make a game, right? I don't remember exactly what he said, but I know it was essentially under a month, right? Mm-hmm. Any new games that you, especially students, are are planning on building, your ideas should be able to be finished in. He may have said a month, and he might have said make a game that could do a month, and then half that or whatnot. I know I've heard that before too, right? Make your scope yeah. for a game. If it takes you a month, then cut it in half and finish it in two weeks. Yeah, it's just don't spend too much time on something, especially this early. Especially when you're learning. Yeah, it's like you're just, especially if you don't have all the like the tools and the assets and all the stuff. Like, right. You're like, oh, I got to build this. It's going to take me years. It's like, slow down. Let's yeah. make something really simple. Let's just, or not even, like, you, it's a program where you can just do game mechanics. So take a moment from a game. Right. Like, Kingdom Hearts. There's a scene where, like, he, Keyblade, sh- shoots some things. Recreate that. Mario, recreate the jumping, like, create the enemy, create where he jumps on it, it dies. Or um, let's go Sly Cooper, create every time the, like, a monster comes, whatever, you throw a smoke, he disappears. Like, little moments, take him, recreate it, program it every day. Boom, you got yourself a ton of little game mechanics. You can show an employer, say, hey, I can do this. And the employer says, cool, you can work for a game company. Now, if you're trying to do an indie studio, start making small games. Exactly. Start go small. Over and over, and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Start up. Maybe you could, you could, if you want, do a Kickstarter, but don't even focus on just making games. Focus on making small games over and over and over and over and over and yeah. over and over and over. And even if they aren't game games, like if you haven't released them, but you still can be like, hey, come play this game I made. It's a little small game, a little, little Space Invaders thing. I, I did it during the course. I I modified a little bit, not that much, but check it out. Right. People, like, well, the, the courses are always great. Now, we've talked about it before, but I mean, certainly you look at, uh, I don't even know what they're called on the Unity courses anymore, but. Uh, which one? Unity 2D or 3D? 3D. Well, either one, really. So I mean, 3D, have... we have the Terminal Hacker, Number Wizard, uh, Zombie yeah. Runner, Tile, uh, Argon Assault, Argon, yeah. Argon, Argon, Argon Assault, Realm Rush, and that's it. No. So yes. probably I'm thinking of 2D more. Probably 2D more. 2D's got better. Talvania. It's got yeah. Glitch Garden. It's got the Rock Block Breaker. Blockbreaker. That that's the, in the 3D. The rocket one is I don't terminal hack. No terminal. No, no. terminal hacker. That's uh, terminal hacker was in Unreal. But regardless, the rocket one, for example, was a game that had very simple mechanics, and you could really expand that quite a bit and make a full fledged game out of it just by doing. I mean, I know when I went through that part of the the course, I had a lot of little ideas that you could make on that game to make it you could limited amount of fuel to get from point a to point b you know uh, yeah different ways of just controlling it you know just little things that you could tweak that could make it a, a its own game that you could easily probably sell or at least put out there yeah. for people to play you know yeah. and, and block breaker is an example of one um oh, there's the space invaders one which i'm not gonna recall the name of uh, would be another good example. So there's two things this reminded me of. One, I would talk about Fortnite. What was it? Oh, I just lost it. It was um. Oh, so Fortnite multiplayer, right? Fortnite itself, the single player and the idea behind it, I think was in the works for a while. 
Anyways, things were happening. They were like, you know what? Let's make a battle royale. So they make a battle royale, right? They didn't even, like, spend that much time. They said, boom, here's early access. Let's test it out, see what happens. They didn't even have a finished product when it came to multiplayer. They just said, let's get it out there and see what happens. The game is technically still in early access to this day. And yet, it's the one of the most successful multiplayer games of all time. Not only is it successful, it's it's in the culture now of of kids and life and and crap. Yeah, like right. YouTube, like every, the dances, everything is now Fortnite, which is amazing. I think it's amazing for the gaming community and for game development and all that stuff. But yeah, it's it's still in early access. So if you think you have to have something perfectly done, you don't. Just just finish it up. Make it look a little nice, and then say, "Boom! Here you go, early access." Let's just right. proceed. You know, right. Let's, I think we've all on. probably played early access games that aren't complete. Now, I will say, when you look at someone like Fortnite, you're talking about the the geniuses over at Epic who are doing it right. So, their early access level is very different than what you or I's access early access would look like. Oh yeah, but, a, but I mean, it's a good point, and I, you, I think early feedback's good too. No, but I mean, if you look at the map of, of Fortnite today and the map when it first came out, mm. it had not even 90, 90% of the content is, is not even there. It's right. literally like a few worlds. Like, they just released it and we're like, let's hope for the best. And then they added weapons, they added places, they added yeah. vehicles, they added different locations, they added more locations, they added Fortnite skins. was a goofy game to begin with, right? Yeah. It well, was the test bed for Unreal's engine features. That they developed internally. Yeah. So they built Fortnite as an internal playground for when they developed new stuff for the engine. They would then test it out, put it in Fortnite or whatever they called it back in the day. And then they got to the point where like we could release a game out of this. And then yeah. release Fortnite. They obviously gotta polish it, I'm sure, a ton to go from you know a, a testing playground to a full fledged game, but you know, it had a, a very long history, I think, probably a lot longer than people would realize. I mean, I don't know how long they've been using it, but if you told me that Unreal's been using the Fortnite back end for 10 plus years, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no, it's been in the works you for know? a while. Because it, it was making a zombie game. It was supposed to be a zombie. Like, you can still well, buy it, the zombie right. single But it player. wasn't really ever meant to be a game initially either. It has many years of history where it wasn't even a game right that was meant to be released outside of epic studios well yeah but i'm just it's just it's just crazy how like but yeah i mean this idea boom and then i i like i like early access i think it has its place it can be abused but other than that it does have its place but i don't think it's that bad though i mean it's like you got a game, especially if you're making a really big game, and it's like, hey, you like we can go in so many directions, but it's like here, play our game. Let us know what we're doing right and wrong, and we'll build upon it. I think it's the best way. It's like you honestly have the gamers as your QA testers, right. slash like even designers, like they tell you stuff like, you know what, that sounds like a great idea. Let's implement that. You know why? Because they play the game more than we even play it. Because they literally play it every single day while we're working on the game. I, I think it can get. The, the negatives I see with some early access is that the players have an unreal expectation. You know, 
they they see early access and i mean i've even seen it on steam we probably all have where it's like just because it's early access doesn't mean it's a beta version of the game and you kind of want to be like uh yeah it does basically you know it doesn't mean that this game is finished and polished either so but there's so there's kind of a misunderstanding of what early access should be i think amongst the player community and that can kind of bite you a little bit mostly in negative reviews and negative feedback yeah well i never realized but by the end of january 2018 epic announced they're shutting up paragon by april that year providing refunds to all players so they can dedicate all their attention to fortnite oh really didn't know that never i never played aragon or paragon or whatever it was yeah But yeah, so we can go way back. Fortnite was around 2012. That that would make sense. For no, 2011 it was revealed. Yeah, it, as I said, it wouldn't surprise me because I mean, it's I. Uh, when I looked into it, they, they had, Epic at one point had like a, how did Fortnite start? And it was the the explanation about like early development and just how they had kind of published it as a, literally it was the, the testing bet, you know? If they implemented, I don't know, a new lighting widget, they'd go into that game and throw it in there and see how it looked. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. But yeah, so that's... That's what I think about it. Um, let's move on with that. Let's see. Can anyone become a game designer? Yeah, I, why not? Yeah, right. I, I think... I mean, I, you know... That's a subjective question. Yeah, it's I want to really, say no, but... Yeah, let's go with I, no, but if... <laughs> no, It sounds mean to say it, but it's really... I, and I look at it from this way. Is I think that there are... I think there are people who are less creative just naturally. They just don't fall into that role mm-hmm. or they just don't, they don't want, they don't fall into that kind of role. I'll just leave it at that yeah. for whatever reason. I mean, it's, it goes with any job, right? It's like saying, can anybody be a doctor? You all want to say, yes, everybody, if you study hard, you can become a doctor. And there's just a lot of people who are going to be like, I don't want to be a doctor. Yeah. I don't matter how much studying, I don't want to be a doctor. I'm not going to be a doctor, you know? No, I agree with that. But yeah, it's, it's, it was more like, you know, it's, it's kind of like the motivation. So uh, Rick, Rick Davidson was explaining how he, like, he's kind of like a motivation. Not a motiv- yeah, like he inspires yeah. a lot with his little, his YouTube channel. But he wants you to, to do basically what makes you happy. You're happy. So, yeah. so if, if you really want to be a game designer or something to that, of course you can. You can start creating right. game documents. You can start that da- like download Unity and design games. Now, is it can anyone make become become a game designer and be financially like you know stable? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You're gonna have to decide on your own. Like it, the world's a competition, and it's not always gonna be fair and, and right. nice to you. But hey, if you want to do it, go go make. It. If it makes you happy, if anybody it's a struggle, can be a game designer, right? Yeah, but will I you mean, be a good game designer? That's more the question. Well, you're you going to have to answer that yourself. We don't exactly. have Exactly. <laughs> and we'll move on with that. 
So how to choose the game mechanics that will enhance your player experience? I don't actually think I asked him this one because I feel like it, it, it molded with what he said before. Like, I think there's some stuff this he was already woven in. Yeah, he already mentioned a lot. Of, like, he talked a lot, and we, we wish we had all of it. But oh. he, um, it's it's more about you have to understand exactly what is your player experience. If there's anything you need to get out of this podcast, it's player experience is very important, and you must understand it and define it before you even start building anything else to the game, because then you'll end up having a game that's just a shell of the experience itself, and it will feel like feel kind of like a vacuum of nothing. You just you're going in, and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling, and I don't feel it. And nowadays, if you don't capture your players in the first, even in the tutorial, even before, or if you don't capture players nowadays, it's over. Like, there's so many games. There's so many games coming out. So many different type of games. So yeah. many experiences. So much, like, creativity. That if, if the game doesn't capture you, the players are gone. Yeah. They're gone. They're not coming back. The tutorial's not exciting. Like, no. And the tutorial, like, the COD 4 tutorial, Modern Warfare, the original one, it had you, like, actually, you know, going around a boot camp and feeling like a soldier. And it was exciting. It was leading you up to what the game was going to be about. Like, you have to understand... That you need to have the player experience at the front forward of everything. Yeah. It needs to be vital. You need to make sure that your player experience, that the second they put the game in, that they're, they're, they're feeling what the box, the cover says, what the game trailers put out there. Because the player, when that, before that, their imagination running wild. And if you give them an idea in their head and you don't follow through with that, they're gonna fall through. Like there's a lot of games I played, and it's not even because they're not fun or like. Because most games, ten hours in, you're like, wow, this game's amazing. It's just you don't have enough time. People don't have time. People don't, right. or people just don't have high attention spans nowadays. So it's like, you know, really, it's true with the whole like YouTube small clips and everything's just being right. some, like five minutes, five seconds. You 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 lose people. You you, you don't have. Them, they're gone. You don't have me, I'm gone. I literally, there's so many games I play, I'm like, you don't got me, I'm done. Movies too, oh, yeah. like movies, uh, I'll be watching, like, you lost me. Like, you know what's one of the great, one of my favorite directors is Christopher Nolan, because he starts every movie at the end. He starts every movie at the end. So first of all, it's it's already, because it's at the end, they're saying, something, like the whole scene, the dialogue, is like, it puts you into it. You're like, what are they talking about? What is happening right now? You're so like, what? And then the movie starts. And even then, it's like epic. But already, you're like, hold on. Like, wait a minute. And you don't realize it's the end till the end. But you still feel like, holy crap. Like you're, you're Something happened. And you want to know what happened. And guess what? It's the whole movie. Yeah. So you watch the whole damn movie. Like, there's something like that, which is you get them. You post say, hey, boom, boom, boom. And the player's like, I want to play this game. And again, it goes back to the player psychology. You also reward them. So maybe your tutorial isn't as exciting. But after they beat it, boom, you're like, okay, I just leveled up. I got this cool weapon. Like, I want to go try it out. You keep going. You move on. You keep rewarding the player. You keep giving them that positive reinforcement. They're going to keep playing the game. And don't be worried about the curve, the, the um, I think it's the engagement curve. It's always going to decline right when the game starts and the hook ends and the tutorial starts because everybody, you know, tutorials, you lose some people. It's okay. You, you just, you got to go and make sure also the tutorials aren't too, uh, what's the word or expression? It's, I'll put it as Rick put, put it best. Games do not need to recreate the wheel all the time. 
You don't need to change everything. Like when the screen shakes or turns red, the player's getting hurt. The the X is to jump or or certain commands are the same for every single game. Don't change everything. Just change one thing and do it well. So right. Rick said, just pick one thing you're gonna do. Everything about the game should be the same, so the player is comfortable, knows what he's doing, feels like okay, and then boom, you got something totally different. You're like, whoa, this is interesting. I like it. This is cool. It's done right. Boom, we're in. We're sold. You got us. It's literally like everything, medium art, but mainly video games. You find the one thing. Don't change everything else about the game, especially if you're new, especially if you're beginner, especially if you're indie. Boom, change. Just worry about that. If you're AAA studio and you got tons of money and budget. Yeah, go go go! Change some things. Go have fun. But if you're small, if you're starting out, or if even your first AAA game, you see your studio, your meet, you reached AAA status. Keep your first game simple. Keep everything down to what works. Do the eighty twenty rule. Mostly, usually twenty percent of the work gives you eighty percent of results. So figure out what that is. Design it. Make it happen. Sell your game. Yeah. Um. What do you? Up. Yeah, right. What are your strategies for iteration and scope? He talked a little bit about it. I don't remember. I don't remember it's coming to me. But I had a lot of internet issues that day too. So. <laughs> yeah, you had a lot. Um, I think it goes down to you know don't try to do a lot of things. Keep things in your scope. Scope's usually gonna. I think he said scope's usually gonna get out of control. It's just the way things happen. Unexpected. Yeah, I remember thing. that. Yeah, it's just. Plan that it within your scope. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I know what your scope is, and I, it, it doesn't have to be a GDD that's you know hard and fast. You don't deviate from it, but scope your project appropriately and try to stay within it. How to play test effectively? I don't think I asked this one either, but I'm going through my two cents. So. Playtesting itself, make sure you playtest with people that have never played the game and watch them. Don't don't tell them anything's going to happen right. because you want the full experience. You want the whole, like, I've never played this game, the whole new experience. Like, you don't want people who, you know, get hints because you know how to play the game, but they don't. And so when the whole entire masses buy your game and they play it, they're going to be like, well, it was obvious for us. And you're going to be like, no, right. it, was. it wasn't obvious for anybody else and now we don't have a good game because everything's just confusing and a mess and yeah no yeah. you have to understand and then you also have to take that feedback change it and get them back get new people people who still haven't played originally get them in because then they they again have fresh experience don't know what's going on then they could be like okay we fixed this part but now here's a loss they keep doing that back and forth and then you get a game that's actually like the fact is a good good game it was tested effectively yeah, yeah. And, and I would say on that, if you're the one doing some of the play testing, probably get in there and obviously you're going to test the mechanics. That's kind of the easy part to test. See what you can do to break your own game. Mm-hmm. You know, click on things that you wouldn't click on. See what happens. You know, you yeah. just never know where you're going to find bugs that are just odd. Go, go down a different path that you didn't think the player would ever go down. And see what happens. Hmm. So these were near the end. I'm gonna say three of them. What are some tips and tricks to pitching ideas? 
how to choose your platform and what exactly is system design. Tips and tricks to pitch ideas. Know who you're talking to. If you're talking to the gamers, it's going to be a little bit different than talking to investors. It's going to be a little bit different than talking to journalists. Yeah. It's just And it's just about creating a simple sentence, a simple elevator pitch, explaining your idea in simple terms. There's really not much else to that except be confident. I mean, like if you're passionate about your idea, then speak with passion, explain it well, and also try to have a working example. If you have a work, or even try to release the game early, anything that shows, okay, this game is a little, people like it, people just want this to be worked on, this making money, or it, it looks like a great idea, or, or something where it gives the investors an idea where they're like, I see it, I can actually see it happening even bigger, let me invest into it. Or yeah. people, gamers itself, is like, this game looks cool, I'm seeing gameplay, it actually looks really fun, I want to buy it. Yeah, I remember um, the conversation with it was specifically with the investors was kind of like know your market right yeah know that you're not the only one producing a game of this kind and what that translates to mm-hmm. um how to choose your platform it's just like what are you trying to build your game on so yeah he didn't yeah. have much insight. He wasn't very into mobile. He thought mobile was oversaturated. Oh, kind oh of I remember that. Yeah, yeah. He's right. like, build what you would want to play. So if you don't want to play right. mobile games, don't go into mobile don't games because you're not going to be as passionate about it. So you just, yeah, there's a lot to that. It's something with game design. It's like you got to be passionate about what you're doing because if you're passionate about it, you, you'll go beyond and above to learn things, to, to right. make things work, to figure things out. Like, just be passionate. Yeah, and I, and I and I would agree. And I think he had actually asked me a question at that one point why I got into game development, and that's when my internet died. But you know, I know where he's coming from. I think originally I got into pro you know, game development. I kind of wanted to make mobile games. I don't know if I still care if I make mobile games anymore. <laughs> There's just so many of them out there. Yeah, and such a the app stores are so controlled by Google and Apple. Or it's like, is it even worth it? You know, how can you, without greasing the wheels of those companies, can you really uh, make your game stand out from others? I don't know. I haven't tried, so can't really comment. But just seems like, you know, if I look at a game now, it's like, I'm not just making it for, you know, PC Linux, put it in a, in a Steam or whatever, and let the world see it. Oh, yeah, I agree. So this one is system design. It stumped him too. It's yeah, not an easy one design. because it's. So I got system design from Will Wright's masterclass, and I'm gonna find it really quick. Exactly what it is, and from what I understand, it's it's essentially I guess the systems you make in the game. Yeah, so, and that's we discussed that, and that's where I think you know we kind of discussed like like a tycoon game that has that virtual economy. And an RPG game that has the stats and you have the sword that does the damage versus the hit points. And how do you design those systems for leveling up? You know, and those systems can be very complex yeah. to make the game fun. So it's kind of the, the, the nit and gritty, the, the, the puzzles, the rules, the layers, the possibility space of your game. It's, it's all the stuff that you're going to think about that allows your player to experience and feel immersed, feel challenged, and feel, feel tons of things. Because when you have to lay out leveling up and stats and all that good stuff, that's a lot of behind the scenes on Excel, spreadsheets, right. writing things. So I don't remember exactly what we said about it, but 
What I do know is it's 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 something that you need to dive deep in and really spend time with it. Create labels, create, uh, let's see, networks, create documents, create posters, create something where you can visually see this model of your system design. What, what like the beginning levels, where you want players to experience in these levels, then the gated like gate, next level, gate, next level, like. Yeah. Their basic games are interactive systems operated by the player. So they need to understand the first part of the game, the tutorial stuff, to advance forward and move on in this world that you're creating. And um, what else does it say about it? So, and honestly, I mean, if I was looking at system design, especially, for, again, from like a new student perspective, try to keep them simple. Start. Yeah. Don't get buried in the details of... Even like a tycoon game, because there's just a lot to them. There is. There's so much. So I like this. This is Hacking Simple Systems. Hacking Simple Systems. HSS. Add small rules to folk games or board games to see what kind of behavior emerges. That's as simple as you can get it. Right. Take a game and just change the rules. You're changing the system design of the game. Exactly. Exactly. It's, It's the structural system of the game. If you know system, you know system design. So... Yeah, it's it's kind of probably the hardest part of game design itself because you have to really be knowledgeable about like puzzles and, and different ways you can build a system and, and produce determinism. You can maybe try to change the rules of a, like a world or or like how it's going to grow or the dynamic. It's a lot of like math, a lot of like thinking about yeah. things. It's kind of the non-sexy side of game development. It right? is, and, it's and the you very might not... behind the scenes, nitty gritty of how it all interacts. Yeah, so it's that's why I kind of wanted to ask what exactly is it because even I wasn't sure. And we, but um, I think it's something we should explore more. It is explored in the courses like RPG. They go over like leveling right. up stats and stuff. It's about all that stuff that's like, ooh, what are we doing now? I think even you can talk about bull cow game, the whole picking different words and, and deciding how that's going to be added right. into the game and and. And how are you gonna put like you know how we had to pick all the words and add it to that one file, the hidden word list. Number and of then, lives based off of word length. Yeah, so uh, all that know. stuff is system design thinking. Yeah. On a very simple level, which is nice. Yes, exactly. I have a seven letter word, I give them five lives, six lives. You know, some of it I think too is the system design also kind of falls back to play testing, right? You gotta play that and just kinda feel out what really works too what was the weird hobby trick that rick does to be more efficient i remember he was saying it multiple times but i Boy. was it the whole he thinks about games on his head was that it no I don't think... that wasn't it i remember it was a cool trick and i was like you're right like that's really cool i don't remember no well he has one I can't remember. We'll ask him next time. Well, well, when we get him on, we'll do a, we'll do something special in December. We'll we'll get him back on. Yeah. Uh, tips on taking leadership as a game designer. I didn't think we really covered that with him, did we? No, we did. It was at the end because he was like, "Well, this is different because this is more not in, like alone. This is more of a team, and it's like oh, this right. is when he was like, you 'You're gonna have to learn that not everybody's gonna understand your idea like the way you are.' Right. You that know. was kind of the yeah communication skills and and yeah basically as a game designer you got to be you got to be a communicator and a listener it's a big part of game designers roles 
So I asked him what he thought about AR and VR, and I think it's when the podcast uh, was recording again. <laughs> oh, well, I remember. I kind of remember his discussion on that one. I don't think he really. He thought it was just a niche avenue. He didn't care for it as much, mostly because I think he uh, said he had the motion sickness issues with it, so yeah. it wasn't big for him. But yeah. I mean, I you know, I, and we talked about AR and VR before too. I, I think it does have a place. Yeah. I still maintain until it's a. Two hundred dollar headset. It doesn't yeah. have a market. I I think it, it's going to be a bigger impact than most people assume. I I believe that. I just don't think it's going to happen anytime in the next like two years, three years, but maybe in the next five or six or seven, it's going to yeah. start making a difference in something. And I I have a feeling it's also going to be more about social media itself. The fact that you can go inside this place and start buying stuff that's like for instance, if you're if you somehow have a VR, which I don't know how, but it, like Indonesia, right? And then you're able to go into VR world and buy stuff from a, a really like expensive mall, and it's going to get delivered to you somehow. I think that's going to be cool. Or even to be able to go be in Indonesia and then like be at the Eiffel Tower because of the way VR is in this like Facebook. Because I know Facebook is working hard on it. That whole thing is going to be interesting. So once the people start going and normally, and, and the motion sickness is gone, and it's not even that big of the whole idea that you're putting something in your head and you kind of like can't see anything. I think it's the fact that it. Most, if not all, people won't go into it is because you're you're essentially blocking your set your senses to the world. So, I think biologically, that's just that's just not not smart. Your body, what do you? Yeah. What's going on? Like, what's happening? Just not but, natural uh, feeling. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I I think it has. I I see a bigger market, honestly, for the AR, not necessarily even in game design, but just in general. That I probably do for VR. You know, like we were even talking about kind of like the commercial business aspects of AR. And I've seen some pretty cool things that some of the businesses are doing. I think like one of the airline manufacturers is, you know, using, trying to use AR to repair planes, basically. And they could send lower skilled labor to do the repairs but they have like the experienced engineers using the AR headsets looking at that engine and just telling them what parts need to be replaced so they can sit in a you know in a global location and these people can be all over the world and they can assist them because there's just a shortage of the people to do the work you know so i think there's a place for that um yeah and so on the AR side yeah i think it's going to be interesting and it's also going to change up game design not all of game design but it's going to add a new level to game design for yeah. that avenue but yeah so that's that's pretty much all that we um that we got with the whole rick interview most of yeah. the stuff that we can recap is that he loves player experience it's key do game design documents every night he said it's a great way to practice great way to um get better he um it's also a great way to show employers that, like hey like you got um you did all this stuff cool like it helps it helps and then also if you can show them like videos or yeah. gameplay of it perfect um that uh fortnite minecraft great examples of player experience no man's sky is not Pro force is not a good game it's just you make the player feel exactly what you're trying to portray right what else did we talk about he talked about you know doing makes you happy it, like if you want to make games go make games there's like, there's so much opportunities nowadays. It's like, you, why not try it? Right. You have the internet, you have social media, you have 
like so many possibilities you can even just teach it like if you can't really make it like you may try right. making it i always believe that you should try to make it do something at least so that way when you go to teach it you have experience i don't like i don't like the idea that somebody teaches you something and doesn't understand it at least it's just like it doesn't make sense to me no, right. But um, <laughs> it does. It just uh, yeah, it doesn't. But um, what else did we talk about? Being inspired, like being inspired. Game design, being That's a pretty leader. Pretty much it. Delve deep pre- into those topics. Yeah, we just dive deep. Um, you got most of it. Um, it's a shame you didn't get to see here the way he expressed it because it's perfect. But um, but, yeah, that's Rick. That was Rick for you guys. It was it was a great <laughs> podcast. I'm glad you we got 40 minutes of it though, because it, it what he said at the end in the beginning was valuable. It, it was beyond yeah, valuable, the whole thing valuable. But um, but yeah, that was that was it. And also, so this podcast is gonna be 34. So we just released um, a couple episodes that aren't the usual us. It's Ben and it's the game dev crew itself. It's though now if you're not aware, they are episode or youtube videos of the past that i took and made into podcast form some of them so they're mostly edited now i didn't re-watch all of them so some of them have a little bit of the technical issues that ben runs into when he does switch streams i try to take out most of them for some of them but there was there was just too many too long streams i just i did i rolled with the punches and did what could for some not all so Bear with them, but they're awesome because if you listen to all of it, they just give you the experience of games like what Ben and th- them goes through their head all the time. And you can listen to Sam, Mike, yeah. There's a bunch of episodes of all the, all of them. You can get at least one in each uh, on certain episodes, and you get to experience like what they were talking about on Twitch. You get to experience um, the videos that they put out. You can experience what is a game. There's a lot of like fun episodes. We're trying to test it out. See if you guys like a podcast a day. Um, if you do, we might start doing something differently where instead of having long format discussions, we might change it up. It just depends what you guys want. Um, we're also going to try to engage more with the community and have more like you guys come on, maybe do some live Twitches or some live Discords. We're still thinking about it. Um, yeah, keep listening. Don't forget to check out the new uh, new platform, all the courses and assets. They've got assets now, which is awesome. We've been testing them, make sure they work for you guys. Um, anything you want to add, Brian? No, I think you've covered all of it, man. I, yeah. Definitely yeah. check out the new platform, though. It's, it's coming along nicely. Oh, it's beautiful. It really is. Yeah. It's, 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 it's better than Udemy. So don't be afraid because it's not Udemy, okay? It, you, it's safe. Everything's good about it. So you got HD. You got, you got captions. Yeah. You got 180. You got a lot of opportunities to grow. And it, it's just, I like the color of it, too. I think it's just better better in the long run yeah so but yeah so make sure you check us out we got we're on itunes Re- leave a review please we love you we want we want that five-star review no but <laughs> honestly give a review no, leave a review yeah if you leave a review reviews. we'll start reading the reviews one or two or three an episode give a shout out we're on itunes spotify youtube soundcloud iheart radio Everywhere out, like anywhere podcast, you'll find us. We are, we we basically we're around. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Slack, community forum. Yeah, but yeah, and then um, we're gonna have Mike come on for episode forty. 
We're going to have Tony Chan. If you know Game Dev Lodi, he's going to be on one episode. We're going to interview another Game Dev studio next week. So, yes, we got a lot of stuff coming up. So stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe. Review, uh, I think subscribe. Uh, click the follow button. Whatever buttons you find in the podcast channel you're on. Like, do, do whatever you need to show us your support. And we'll show you how much we support you guys by reading your reviews, by giving shout outs, by all that good stuff. But yeah. So stay tuned. Keep learning. Keep doing your thing. Keep being awesome. And keep creating games. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. You can find all GameDev.TV courses at courses.gamedev.tv slash courses or in the show notes with a 10% discount. Get started with your game development journey today.